0: From MIT Technology Review, I'm Laurel Ruma, and this is Business Lab, the show that helps business leaders make sense of new technologies coming out of the lab and into the marketplace. Our topic today is enhancing privacy and cybersecurity. Well, it's an old saying by now, but it used to be that on the internet, nobody knows if you're a dog, but that's not quite true. Cybersecurity researchers have been able to track people through previously assumed anonymous transactions, like Bitcoin, blockchain, and Tor. Is it possible to build secure and anonymous payment and communication networks? Two words for you: digital footprints, or is it paw prints? My guest today is Dr. Mashael Al Sabah, who is a senior scientist at Qatar Computing Research Institute. Dr. El-Sabah researches network security and privacy-enhancing technologies, cryptocurrency, and blockchain technology. She was a computer science professor at Qatar University, and her research on the topic has been published in Wired and Boing Boing, as well as academic journals. This episode of Business Lab is produced in association with Qatar Foundation. Welcome, Dr. El-Sabah. Thank you for having me. So as a cybersecurity researcher, Could you explain how you work? It seems that you kind of begin by identifying weaknesses, show how the vulnerabilities can be exploited, and then propose defenses or countermeasures. Is that about right?
1: Uh, Yeah, in general, there are uh, multiple inspirational paths towards a certain research idea or topic. Uh, For example, you either hear about a new technology, and, and then when you get curious about it, and as you discuss and learn about it with your colleagues, Uh, security mindset starts to kick in and you start having questions about its security and privacy uh, and if it really delivers what it promises. And then this leads to experimentation uh, to answer these questions and based on the insights and observations that uh, we gain through experimentation, uh, you either come up with a solution uh, or you bring people's attention to it. Another path is Uh, Sometimes we conduct research based on problems by our uh, stakeholders about the difficulties and real problems that they have. Uh, For example, some of our partners have uh, huge amounts of data. And as a national institute, it is our job and mandate uh, to listen to their research problems and devise and even build in-house solutions to help them meet their requirements.
0: You mentioned a security mindset. How do you define that?
1: So when you hear about a technology, you start asking questions. Does, does it meet the, the requirements it, 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 uh, it promises? Uh, does it maintain the confidentiality of the data? Uh, does it protect user, uh, users' privacy uh, as, as it claims? And, and you think of the different attacks that happened before and that can happen in the future. Uh, and you try to identify the weaknesses and the threats in the technology.
0: Your research has focused on parts of the internet that were built to protect users' online privacy and anonymity, like blockchain and Tor, which is the anonymous communications network, and how those protections may not be as strong as people think they are. What have you discovered?
1: Successfully achieving privacy requires using the right tool in the right way, uh, because it's a collaboration between the tool and the user. Uh, If users are not using the tool properly, they will not get the privacy or security guarantees promised Uh, That they are seeking. Uh, For example, if you're browsing uh, to a page and your browser warns against expired certificates, but you connect anyway, then you're at risk. Uh, In one of our research projects, we found that although, uh, for example, Tor, it, it, it does indeed provide strong privacy and anonymity guarantees, but using it together with Bitcoin can hinder users' privacy. Even though when Bitcoin was starting to get popular seven years ago, or more, uh, one of its selling points is that it provides uh, strong privacy. Hmm.
0: So it's interesting how um, a more secure network could be compromised because you then add on what seemingly was a secure network when, in fact, combined those two factors.
1: Yeah, to, uh, to using Tor alone is, is, is uh, you know, it gives you the privacy uh, guarantees. But then you use it with Bitcoin, you open some channels, uh, compromised channels.
0: Could you talk a bit more about um, your research on uh, people using Bitcoin and and their past transactions? Um, For example, your colleague at QCRI said in a Wired article about this research that, quote, if you're vulnerable now, you're vulnerable in the future. What does that mean? Why is Bitcoin particularly difficult to to maintain privacy? Uh,
1: So at a high level, we were able to show that it's possible to link users' previous sensitive transactions to them. A lot of people think that they are completely anonymous when they use Bitcoin, and this gives them you know, a false sense of security. In our research, what we did is that we crawled social media, like uh, there's a uh, popular forum for Bitcoin users called bitcointalk.org. And uh, we crawled uh, uh, Twitter as well for Bitcoin addresses that users attributed to themselves. Uh, in some forums, people share their Bitcoin addresses along with their profile information. So now you have the public profile uh, information, which includes usernames, emails, age, gender, city. and uh, This can be highly identifying. And, and, and you have the, all this information together with the Bitcoin address. And, and we found that there are hundreds of people that advertise their addresses online. We also crawled dark web pages uh, for services that use Bitcoin as a payment channel. Uh, At the time of our experiments, we found that hundreds of services exposed their Bitcoin receiving addresses. Some of them are whistleblowing uh, services like uh, WikiLeaks, and they accept donations and support. Uh, But many are also illicit services. Uh, They sell weapons and fake IDs and so on. Uh, Now, now we have two databases, the the users uh, and their Bitcoin addresses, and the services and their Bitcoin addresses. How did we link them? We used the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, which is transparent and available online. Uh, Anyone can download it and can analyze it. Uh, So we downloaded it, and the structure of the Bitcoin blockchain links addresses through the transactions. So uh, if there's a transaction that happened at any point in time in the past between any two addresses, you will be able to find a link between them. And indeed, uh, from our two data sets, we found links between users and hidden services, uh, including some illicit services like the Pirate Bay and the Silk Road. Uh, the, the the blockchain is a transparent ledger and it's a append only log. So historical data cannot be deleted, and these links between users and services cannot be removed.
0: So, well, yeah, what happens to all, all everyone's data now that you've you've made this link and you've made it clear that it's it's available? Did any of these services take any kind of countermeasures to prevent that kind of not anonymous information being broadcast?
1: Uh, I think there are uh, over the years, uh, uh, those services realized that uh, Bitcoin is not as an- anonymous as they thought it was. So uh, they engage in different practices that can make it harder to track down or link users to them. Uh, for example, some of them use mixing services and some of them use uh, a different address uh, per transaction as, as opposed to using just one address. Uh, for their service, and that makes it harder to link. There are also uh, other alternative cryptocurrencies that are uh, that have been researched. They have shown that they are, they provide stronger anonymity, like Zcash, for example. Mm. So there's a uh, more awareness now. And uh, that said, uh, still a lot of the payments are uh, happen or take place through Bitcoin, uh, including even ransomware.
0: So QCRI is one of the Qatar Foundation's research institutes, and the Qatar Foundation's goals are to advance pioneering research in areas of national priority for Qatar and to support sustainable development and economic diversification goals that have the potential to benefit the entire world. So from that perspective, why is it important to have access to secure and anonymous payment and communication systems? Why is this important to society? Uh,
1: Such technologies are important because... They provide people with um, freedom online uh, to browse and carry out transactions freely without feeling, uh, you know, the feeling of being watched. Right now, when you are aware that you are being tracked and all your searches are cached and your information is shared with advertisers, it can feel restrictive for users because personally, I, I feel like I it might make me censor myself and it can limit it your options, the user's options. However, when, when, when privacy tools protect you from trackers, users feel more liberated to search about personal issues, such as suspected diseases or sensitive their own sensitive private issues. Uh, people cannot be free without their privacy. Freedom is important uh, for the development of society. Aside from privacy, cryptocurrency can also help societies with specifically the ones with underdeveloped financial infrastructure. Uh, there are societies that have no financial infrastructure and people have no bank accounts. So cryptocurrency can play a role in easing their hardships and improve their lives. Uh, I uh, recently uh, uh, heard that UNICEF also uh, has launched a crypto fund to receive donations in uh, cryptocurrencies because they have, because transferring through cryptocurrencies has a very low overhead in terms of transfer time and cost.
0: That's actually quite interesting, especially when there is an emergency and UNICEF would need funds as quickly as possible. Um, not only would they save money by using an alternate banking transaction, um, but then they would also be able to use the money as quickly as possible.
1: Exactly. Uh, yeah, the, the overhead was low and uh, the, 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 the money transfer was fast and it's all trackable.
0: Do you see uh, cryptocurrencies being a, an alternative actually coming through? And, and playing a, a central role in the stage of banking like this because people are seeing it as a more validated way to, to move money from one place to another?
1: I don't think it can uh, completely uh, replace traditional banking systems, uh, but it can complement it. It can meet some requirements uh, and it can help, as I said, the uh, uh, you know societies that do not have Uh, Or do have an underdeveloped uh, financial infrastructure, Uh, so I think it can complement existing systems.
0: And I find that um, also interesting, as you mentioned, the privacy and how important privacy is for freedom. And commercially, (laughs) we're found that we're tracked pretty much everywhere we go on the internet by ads and uh, cookies and and other ways to kind of keep keep in touch of what we are interested in and what we might buy next. And there was quite a bit of um, controversy a number of years ago uh, of how trackers could tell whether a woman was pregnant by just the various sites that she um, visited and then would start targeting her with specific ads. Do you see, uh, other than for commercial purposes, more strict ways of, of strict, meaning improved privacy for consumers of the internet, as they go throughout the internet, do you see privacy as being one of those things that consumers start to look for more and more?
1: I think there's definitely a more, uh, there's more awareness now uh, among users of the importance of their privacy. Uh, there's more awareness about, uh, you know, about the, uh, there has been leaks about the, you know, the governments tracking uh, their citizens and, uh, you know, other, and their data and, you uh, There's uh, information about uh, several companies uh, archiving and uh, aggregating users' data and so on. So definitely people are are more aware. And uh, uh, for example, recently when uh, WhatsApp decided to change their uh, privacy policy, uh, we uh, noticed uh, backlash. Uh, Many people, many users moved to to using different other uh, apps uh, like Signal with uh, better uh, privacy uh,
0: uh, policies. What is the biggest challenge of keeping up with exploits, whether they are through networking infrastructure or cryptocurrencies? Uh, So
1: attacks are carried out uh, for political or economical reasons. And as long as there is uh, gain or profits for the attacker, they will never stop. So there will always be the zero-day attacks. The main challenge, I think, is to get people to adhere to the best practices. Uh, For example, many successful attacks and data leaks are based on default or easy passwords, or they could be based on, you know, failure to periodically patch their systems. So while we cannot stop new attacks, we can make them less effective and harder to achieve by adhering to best practices.
0: How are phishing attacks evolving? What methods are cyber attackers using to trick people into giving away private information or downloading malware?
1: Uh, so uh, recent research has shown that phishing attacks uh, show no sign of slowing down. Although the number of malwares are going down compared to previous years, phishing is going up. Uh, they use various. The fishers use various techniques. For, for example, one technique is a uh, common technique is called squatting, uh, where attackers register domains uh, that resemble uh, popular domains, so they can appear more legit for users. For example. Uh, there's paypal.com, so they register something similar to that, PayPal with an extra L or, you know, with a typo in it uh, that can uh, can appear more legit to users. Uh, they also use uh, social engineering tactics to be more effective. Fishers can often try to trigger the fast decision-making processes of our brains, uh, and they achieve that by sending emails containing links to um uh, offers or, uh, in general, urgent opportunities. For example, sign up for COVID vaccine, limited quantities, something like that. Uh, so they give users the, the sense of urgency and uh, then users visit the links and are encouraged to sign up by entering private information. Uh, sometimes in these links, they end up downloading also malware, which makes the problem worse. Uh, in our research, we have also observed that the number of uh, phishing domains obtaining Uh, TLS certificates has been increasing over the years. And again, they obtain digital certificates to appear more legit to users. And because browsers Mm. may not uh, connect to the domain or warn users if the domain isn't using TLS.
0: So so the bad actors are making themselves look more legit with these digital certificates, when in fact, uh, all they're doing is tricking the kind of automatic systems um, to be able to get past them so, so they seem legitimate.
1: Yeah, and and, and, and uh, because now there is it's uh, some browsers ha- have made it mandatory for uh, domains to obtain certificates in order to be uh, to connect to them. So uh, to reach a wider base of victims, uh, they it's it's kind of mandatory now to obtain these certificates, and uh, and it's easy to get them because they they're free. Uh, there are certificate authorities that provide them in an automated way, uh, free, like uh, Let's Encrypt, for example. Uh, So it's very easy for them to get certificates and look more legit.
0: Why have phishing threats become a bigger problem during the COVID-19 pandemic?
1: When you have the pandemic, there is the fear element, uh, which can trigger uh, poor decisions. uh, And uh, users want to know more about uh, developing story. uh, So in that case, they're more likely to let their guard down and visit pages that claim to present new sources of information. Uh, so the whole situation can be more fruitful for attackers. And indeed, even early in the pandemic, uh, around the end of March, 2020, there were we there were tens of thousands of uh, coronavirus-related spam attacks that were observed, and uh, we observed uh, hundreds of thousands of newly registered domains that were also related to the pandemic and appeared, uh, and they were they appeared to, to have been registered for uh, malicious reasons.
0: So when you when you publish research about vulnerabilities, are you hoping that it'll inspire people to take more countermeasures, or are you thinking it'll lead to redesign of systems entirely to make them more secure, or are you hoping both will happen?
1: So when we publish research about vulnerabilities, actually both. We uh, there's a, a consensus in the cybersecurity research community that. Researching threats is very valuable because it brings attention to uh, weaknesses that can possibly result in compromises or in privacy invasions if they were if they are discovered by attackers first. Uh, that way, people can be more cautious and can take stronger countermeasures uh, by edu- educating themselves better. Um, also, with such research, when you bring the attention to a certain weakness or vulnerability, you also you can also think start thinking of uh, uh, or suggest uh, countermeasures and overall enhance the, the the system.
0: So, when you do find an exploit, what's the process for alerting the interested parties? Um, you know, for example, most recently in the news, Google uh, exposed Western governments' hacking operation. But there must be a standard protocol with such sensitive issues, especially when governments are involved?
1: Uh, So in QCRI, we uh, inform our partners uh, and we write detailed reports. Uh, We have labs and uh, we deploy in-house built systems and tools that can help them um, process, analyze and discover uh, such events themselves uh, as well.
0: And that's definitely... Particularly helpful and ties back to the Qatar Foundation's uh, goals of you know enriching society, because uh, cybersecurity requires massive amounts of collaborations from number of parties. Correct? Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's like I said before, it's our mandate to uh, serve the community, and uh, and that's why uh, since the beginning of uh, our the establishment of our institute. Uh, we worked hard on establishing uh, relations with the uh, different government agencies and different stakeholders in the country. Uh, and uh, we uh, we carefully identified the, uh, the research uh, directions that are needed for the country to serve the country first um, and to serve society.
0: What are you working on right now?
1: Uh, so right now I'm uh, working on... Um, a couple of uh, research projects uh, one of them is uh, related to phishing we have observed that uh, like i said before that uh, more and more phishing domains are obtaining digital certificates to appear more legit and so uh, google has the uh, certificate transparency project where uh, it, it's, uh, it's basically servers uh, that uh, publish the new upcoming domains that uh, and their certificates, so it's a resource for us to identify upcoming new domains and understand if it's if they uh, they can be possibly used for uh, malicious or phishing purposes. Uh, so we use available uh, intelligence in order to identify if they're phishing or not. It's been a successful approach We're able to uh, use machine learning and uh, classify with a very high accuracy uh, more than 97% that a, a domain is indeed will be used for phishing sometimes even before uh, they are available online uh, just from looking at its certificate and uh, you know other infrastructure uh, information. Um, I'm also working on um, identifying malware that uses uh, anonymous communication. Uh, more and more malware uses uh, proxies or VPNs uh, and Tor to evade detection uh, because it's very hard. Usually, uh, botnets or uh, infected machines they get their commands from a c- certain centralized machine, and if it's uh, if it's deployed on a public IP, it will be easy to uh, uh, for network administrators to identify it and block connections to it. Uh, but, and that's why uh, Botnet Masters now deploy their command and control server in, in, uh, as a Tor hidden service. Uh, so that it's anonymous and it's hard to, it's easy for the uh, infected machines to connect to it and get the commands and get the communication, but it's hard to, for takedown operations. Uh, so we're working on uh, traffic analysis techniques in order to identify such uh, connections, uh, and this is based on uh, infections that we have we, we found in, in, in uh, logs of our stakeholders. So it's based on uh, a real need and a, and a requirement from uh, our partners.
0: It sounds like you're using a number of, of new and different techniques, but uh, as you mentioned, in collaboration and partnership which makes it all the difference um, when, you, when you can really tackle a problem with a number of, of partners here. Do you have any suggestions of how people, consumers, can be more careful using the internet? Or are there other new technologies that, you, that could help secure communications and financial tra- transactions?
1: So uh, I think in general, it's the responsibility of users to ensure that their privacy is uh, maintained with more education and awareness. Uh, when they share data, they have to be informed on on how their data will be handled and uh, understand the possible consequences of uh, data loss or data aggregation and processing and sharing by the different uh, um, companies uh, online. People can continue to use the, the available technologies as long as they understand the you know the privacy and security guarantees the, and, and accept them.
0: And that's always the tough part. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, if this has been a fantastic conversation, Dr. Al Sabah, I thank you very much. Thank you for
1: having me, Laurel.
0: That was Dr. Mashayel Al Sabah, a senior scientist at Qatar Computing Research Institute, who I spoke with from Cambridge, Massachusetts, the home of MIT and MIT Technology Review, overlooking the Charles River. That's it for this episode of Business Lab. I'm your host, Laurel Ruma. I'm the Director of Insights, the custom publishing division of MIT Technology Review. We were founded in 1899 at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And you can find us in print, on the web, and at events each year around the world. For more information about us and the show, please check out our website at technologyreview.com. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy this episode, we hope you'll take a moment to rate and review us. Business Lab is a production of MIT Technology Review. This episode was produced by Collective Next. Thanks for listening.